0: Amen. What a great preparation for our time in, in God's word. Our, our music team, I hope you appreciate them. They, they are skillful in their leadership of us. And they, uh, they lead us well, not just musically, but they lead our hearts well as well. And I just am so thankful for, for Blake and his, his uh, skill in, in leading our hearts to proclaim the truths of the gospel and to be reminded of our joy that we have in Christ, and so it's great to just, I mean, even as I get up here to preach, to have a song that launches us into preaching, right? That makes us eager to hear God's Word and, and to align our, our lives with His will uh, for us. And so if you have a Bible, please open to Psalm 73 will be our text uh, for this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some extras in the back that you can feel free to, to grab and even take home with you, or feel free to cozy on up to a neighbor. I'm sure they won't mind if you're looking on their, their copy of Psalm 73 as well. And what we're going to see in, in Psalm 73 is that uh, we desperately need perspective, right? We desperately need to have our perspective about our lives, about what's valuable, shaped by the right things, by the right things. We desperately need uh, perspective here here in America, right? And I hope that you've been blessed by our series that we've done the last few weeks. If you've been with us, Pastor Ken, uh, doing a short series called Sanctified Sweat where we, we look at what the Bible talks about, sanctification, and even Pastor Ken was just helping guide and lead us through uh, some of the confusion that's out there uh, in American Christianity today and just bringing us back to the word. And I, I know that many of you guys shared uh, very encouraging things about that, and I know that I was blessed just by that reminder that there's oftentimes we can kind of just slip into a spiritual laziness, right? And so we need to have our perspective shaped by God's word that, that God wants us to be running hard after him. God wants us to be putting forth effort to grow in our, in our love for him and to grow in the way that we live in accordance with his will in our life. Not effort that's just us mustering up strength strength in and of ourselves but serving with the strength that he supplies right that that really it's god's strength being active and at work in us as we pursue holiness together and i hope that that you've been uh, encouraged and maybe even a little bit challenged by that i know it's it's good to have god's word speak to us in a way that shows us our need to grow right because then we know that god's going to help us to do that, that God's not just going to give us His word and then leave us leave us hanging at that point. That God's Spirit is actually working with us to accomplish God's will in our life, and I and I hope that you've you've enjoyed that. And I think that hopefully our, our text uh, this morning will be will be good at shaping our perspective because maybe even after last Sunday's message, you went into this last week and you you kind of came into it with enthusiasm that hey, I really want to work hard for the Lord, and then you, you found that it's hard to do that, right? And you you found that hey, when you want to do what's right, your your flesh wants you to not do what's right. That it actually is at war with God's spirit that he's put within you, right? That even in the midst of that battle God has given us everything we need to be successful, but it's a fight. It's a battle, right? And that battle is going to continue all the way until Jesus Christ returns and we're given new bodies, right? That don't, don't have a propensity to sin and we get to be with the Lord forever. That's when we will be able to rest, right? There remains a rest for the people of the Lord in heaven. But now it's a fight and it's a, it's a battle and it's a struggle and, uh, and we need perspective in the midst of that battle. And I, I, I hope you had a great 4th of July uh, what a great holiday, isn't isn't that just one to celebrate God's grace to America and the freedoms that we enjoy, which are really kind of unprecedented if we look at the world today? That we have freedom to gather and to uh, worship the Lord uh, without fear of persecution—such a such a great joy. We're praying that God continues to be gracious to America and doesn't give us maybe what we deserve uh, for for our rejection of of Him, but that God continues to be be gracious to us. And uh, 4th of July is just a great day. I know many of you guys were spending time with friends and and family, and and I was glad to be here for the 4th of July. Last year, uh, me and the junior high and high school students were all the way in Carlinville, Illinois, at Camp Ascend for summer camp. And so we spent the 4th of July out there. So this year was good to be home and and home with my family and my kids and and, uh, to just enjoy 4th of July here in Montgomery. And you know, I'd, I'd been seeing, we live in Walden, and so Walden, you know, 4th of July is kind of a big day in the Walden, uh, Walden community, and so, you know, there's a, there's a parade in the morning. I don't know if you know this, if you're not a Walden resident, but it's a, there's a parade, and so we're thinking, hey, that'd be fun, and we get together with uh, some friends uh, who live in the neighborhood with us and some family, and we're thinking, hey, we're going to go check out this, this parade. And I, I haven't seen the Walden parade before, so I don't really know what what to expect. And so we think, you know, we understand kind of the route that the parade's going. And so we get our lawn chairs and, you know, we got the double stroller with the twins and everything. And we're set up and we've kind of got our spot. And we're like, man, it's going to start in like 10 minutes here. And like, we feel like we're kind of the only people around. Like there's another group of people kind of way, way over here. And there's some people kind of walking around, but we're the only ones planted. And I'm thinking... Okay, my my expectations were lowering. You know, just I, you know, I'm thinking, hey, maybe there's going to be a few families with like some little red wagons with their kids, you know, waving American flags. It's going to be going to be all right, but you know, my expectations and my perspective on the parade were just were just going down. So we're we're getting all set up, and then someone graciously who's walking by, it, you know, says, hey, do you guys know that the parade actually doesn't come by here? This isn't actually part of the parade route that we've been staked you know, staked our claim where there were going to be no 4th of July festivities. <laughs> and, um, and so we sheepishly packed up all of our stuff and, you know, followed the crowd. And then even as we got closer to where the parade was going to go, you, you could tell like our pers- my perspective started to change. You know, that, that as we're walking that way, we start to see cars lining in both sides of the street. And as we get actually to where the parade is, there's people everywhere. And they're, they're all over the place. And there's planes flying in formation overhead and stuff like that. And I'm starting to think, this is going to be a sweet parade. Like, I'm actually getting excited. And it was. It was a, it was a cool parade. I mean, I've never seen golf carts decked out quite like they were, and, you know, they're throwing candy, and it was awesome. It was, it was great, right? Uh, but I think about, like, how my perspective on that, that parade would have been uh, just misplaced had that, you know, gracious individual, you know, not decided to just laugh at us from afar and actually told us something that was helpful so that we were actually able to enjoy the, the Walden Parade. And, and I think as we think about our struggle for sanctification, right, we, we constantly need perspective, right? Because we can lose heart. We can get discouraged. And our text this morning is written by Asaph, who was kind of almost the worship pastor for the nation of Israel. Back in the day, he was the proverbial Blake Boys of, of the Nation of Israel. And so he writes this this song which is very autobiographical. It, it very much shares his experience with us and he does that so that we will learn from, uh, from his experience, and so we're gonna, we're gonna jump into it, and rather than reading it all at the beginning, we're just gonna kind of take it um, bit by bit, and so let's read verses one and two together, where Asaph writes, "'Truly God is good to Israel, "'to those who are pure in heart. "'But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, "'my steps had nearly slipped.'" Right, and we, as we jump into this song, right, we see verse one. It's like, man, it's, that's a good way to start off a psalm, right? Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And even as you start to read it, you're thinking, yes, this is going to be one of those legit psalms, it's just going to get me pumped up, I'm going to be excited afterwards. And then, boom, verse two happens, and, and you're saying, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly. Slipped that that Asaph, rather than this just being a, a a psalm that is completely joyful and happy, he's sharing with us his own his own experience that that he was off in his thinking. His perspective was was off. And look at what he says was happening in his life in verse three. He says, "For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked." That that Asaph is sharing with us. He's being very transparent that his his perspective was shaped by his focus on the world. So if you're taking notes, if you've got a note sheet, our first point this morning is what happens when he's focusing on the world, right? That Asaph is looking around him, he lives in the nation of Israel, but he sees that not everybody in the nation of Israel is pursuing the Lord, right? And, and especially all of the nations surrounding the nation of Israel are very, very far from the Lord are very, very wicked people, people who just want to live without thought of God, without being ruled by God, living as their own gods, worshiping their own gods, of their own, of their own making. And so, you know, Asaph is living life in the nation of Israel, and as his perspective is shaped by the people around him, right, he, he starts to feel a certain way, he starts to think a certain way way. He starts to be actually envious of the arrogant, those who are proud, those who have set themselves up as kind of the ruler of their own life, right? And as he looks at it, he's, he starts looking at their lives, and he starts kind of thinking that they're pretty good, right? That, hey, maybe, maybe there's something to these other people and what they're, what they're pursuing. And I think it's, it's true that we can get caught up in that same perspective as well, right? In our neighborhoods, right? We see we see a neighbor, right? And maybe we know that they're not a believer, they don't go to church, but they've got a nice house and the car in their driveway. That That's a nice car in their in their driveway. Or maybe there's just a house that I drive by on my way home from work, right? Where I see, man, they've, they, they seem like they've got a house on the lake and they've got a nice car, they have a boat. Man, it seems like they are really, really living, right? in a, In the general area, right? If there's ever a day where you could start to be envious of the stuff that people have, you know, it's when it's kind of like, you know, boating through, you know, Lake Conroe, right? When you're like, whoa, that person's got a nice boat, and whoa, that person's got a nice boat with a tower that can, you know, tow wakeboards and and stuff. I've just got this little fishing rowboat kind of, kind of thing, right? Um, you know, maybe I've got a boat, but they've, they've got a bigger boat, and it's newer and nicer, and there's, you know, better seating configuration, or, or maybe we could even get, you know, starting to look at people who are in other phases of life, than we are, right? Others who, you know, maybe we've got kids and we see someone that they don't have kids and man, they're able to travel and they're posting on Instagram of this vacation that they're going to at this nice, nice resort or, you know, hey man, these people have no kids. I've got all these kids and man, that's a lot of work, you know, with, with kids and, uh, and uh, or maybe I, hey, I, I see other people who have kids and we don't have kids and I desperately want to have, to have kids, Right? Maybe, uh, maybe some of us, we look at like the grandparent lifestyle and we think, that's a pretty good lifestyle. I, I would like that. Yeah, I would like to be able to just come in and play with grandkids, load them up with sugar, presents, gifts, you know, have them give me hugs and kisses. And then if there's ever a poopy diaper or any discipline that needs to happen, let's hand them back to mom and dad. I'm just gonna sit here quietly until it's all, all over, right? Um, maybe some of you guys are looking forward to, you, know, you could envy someone who's retired, right? That you feel like, man, I've still got a few more few more years to work until I can get to that spot where I've got the freedom to, to travel or the freedom to just enjoy life or, or whatever it is. In a, in a career or a business, we could, you know, see someone that's more successful than us or another business that's more successful than our, our business or, or someone else, right, who uh, maybe doesn't, you know, know the Lord and they got the promotion that we feel like we had rightly, rightly earned or deserved, um, or they talk about their weekend and it sounds like they had more fun than we had in our weekend right and even as we just watch tv or go to a movie or listen to music here in america you know the life that's portrayed is a is a godless a godless life but yet it's portrayed favorably it's portrayed attractively it's portrayed as something that is good and it's very very Deceptive, right? That if we look around at other people in this world, and that's where our perspective is coming from, we can be sucked into what Asaph was feeling. And look at what—let's just look and examine in this first half of this chapter what what, uh, what what Asaph sees as he looks around. Look at verses four and five. He says, "For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken." Like the rest of mankind, when, when Asaph's having his perspective, when he's focusing on the world, he starts really wanting a life of easiness or an easy life. Um, he starts, he looks at these other people and they're like, they have no pangs. Like, okay, when someone dies, that's a hard thing, but there's, there's, not, there's not something else that's kind of jabbing into their life and, and putting, putting pain in there. He uses this phrase, their bodies are fat and sleek. Right. Now that's probably not a phrase that we envy too much here in, in America. If that were to be said of someone, we wouldn't necessarily want to be like that. But back in the day, you know, if if you were if you had the ability to not have to work, right, that means you had you had people, right? You had people who did your work for you, right? You sat there and had grapes you know fed to you by hand as someone's waving their palm frond you know to to to, to gently cool you that yeah i am fat and sleek i can sit here and look out over my domain with all of my servants who are working for me and i just get to relax i just they do all the work i just get to enjoy life their bodies are fat and sleek they're not in trouble as others are they're not stricken like the rest of mankind that there there doesn't seem there doesn't seem to be a lot of difficulty in their life. It seems like they're able to do what they want to do without a lot of, lot of trouble, a lot of, a lot of struggle, right? We can look at, look at entertainment, right? Life is portrayed as being pretty fun and enjoyable and, and easy, right? That They don't have difficulty, right? They seem to be living the high life, the, the desirable life, and it's a life of ease. It's like Fourth of July all the time for some people, right? They just man, they're out on the they're on the lake every weekend and they're they're just golfing every day and you know whatever whatever it might be, it just seems like their life seems to be going really well and it's really easy. In verse 6, he says therefore because their life is going well because they're not in trouble, therefore pride is their Necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. They're so fat and sassy, right? Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression, right? As, as Asaph looks out, he sees people who are pretty confident in themselves, right? They're, that phrase, pride is their necklace, right? You probably don't have to, to, to go through your contact list too far to find someone that you think that could be pretty descriptive of, right? That they just their life seems to be going well and they're gonna let you know about it, right? They're gonna tell you about how how good their life is and man, I am killing it. I am killing it at the office and my kid, they got straight A's and you know they're top of their class and they're doing this activity. And we went on this vacation last month and the next month we're going on this vacation and and everything and you're like, whoa man, you your life is good. And everything out that their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies, that basically whatever they desire to do, they're going to do it, right? They've got confidence, they, they're not lacking anything. Hey, whatever my heart wants to do, if I want to, you know, spend $5,000 on fireworks just so I can blow stuff up on the 4th of July, no problem, no problem. I'm going I'm to do it. In verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression, right? That back in those days, they would have gotten to the spot where they, they didn't get to the spot where they were out without stepping on a few people, right? And they, they talked a big talk so to keep people in line, to keep their life being easy and trouble-free, right? That as Asaph looks out, he sees people that seem to have confidence. In verse 9, it says, "...they set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth." Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Right? In these verses, as least half looks out, he sees that these, these people who are out here, they don't seem to have any real fear of the Lord. They don't seem to have any real thought of God or respect for God. They mock God. They mock the God of the Bible. They're, they're the kind of people that think that the Bible is some kind of outdated book that was great for maybe 2,000 years ago, but now we've got cell phones, and we've got the internet, and we've got, you know, Gulfstream jets, and so we need something different for today. We, you know, the Bible, oh man, you're, you're still talking about the Bible, or if, if you actually think that the Bible, you know, that we can actually understand what it says and base our lives upon it, oh, you're foolish, you're, you're antiquated, you're, you're in the past, they're, they set their mouths against the heaven. They say, "God, God's dead. God, God is irrelevant. God doesn't matter." They want to tell. Of his own glory. And they do this in such a way that the people that Asaph is talking about are not like over here all in their own camp and they're only talking to themselves. They're actually influencing the people of God. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Or some other versions might have that uh, translated as, And waters of a full cup are drained. By them, right? That that God is there, that basically he had chosen Israel to be his special people and had given them more than everything that they needed, but yet these other people come and they are portraying this life that's better without the Lord. And so a, a full cup that God had given to the nation of Israel, it's like they're draining it from the bottom. Or if, you know, if God had filled up the proverbial balloon of the nation of Israel with air, it's like they're slowly kind of letting it Letting it out, right, and then in verse eleven you know it 's basically that these people in the nation of Israel were getting sucked into this to the point where they 're like yeah it 's probably not that bad you know god god 's not going to know about it it 's probably not going to be you know that big of a deal there 's There's no immediate consequences. You know, if I just start living for myself and my own glory or I just start living for my own comfort and my own ease and that's really what I'm about in my life, like God's not going to treat that as that big of a deal. God's not going to be upset with that. In fact, I'm just doing, I'm just following my heart. You know, that's what Disney has told me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do it, right? Uh, You know, who, 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 how could God have a problem with that is kind of the sentiment that's that's being okay. That a little sin is okay. A little living for me is okay. It's not really that big a deal. God's not gonna treat it as something that's, that's wrong, right? These people, they've got, they've got no respect for the Lord. They don't live their life in submission to the Lord and to his will. They, they're, they're all about themselves. And in verse 12, kind of sums it up by saying, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in, in riches, right? As Asaph looks out over the landscape of his day, he sees a bunch of people that are living for an easy life to get stuff, to wanna to talk about themselves and, and who don't care about the Lord. Does that sound anything like America, right? Hashtag America. Does that sound anything like what we experience in our day and age as well, right? As if we're looking, right, if we're looking around at the people in our, in our world, Right, we could have the same thoughts and start to think a lot of the same things that Asaph was feeling. Right, and Asaph—it's not just that he starts looking at some of the things and hey, having an easy life seems kind of good. Right, getting getting fat and you know having people do my work for me like that sounds like kind of an enjoyable an enjoyable thing. Um, but in verse thirteen, you know, we see that that's not just like oh, that'd be kind of nice. He, also, he starts to think about himself and he starts to get really discouraged. In verse 13, he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my my hands and in innocence. He's saying, hey, I'm not pursuing sin. I'm not living for my own comfort and my own my own pleasure. And, and I'm kind of starting to wonder, like, is that in vain? Is, is it really worth it? Like, I, I'm, I'm saying, hey, I want to be all about the Lord and everything that I do is for him and for, for his glory. Is, has that been in In vain, you know, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And in verse 14, he looks at his own life and he's like, it's not going well. In verse 14, he says, all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning, right? The the Asaph knew what, what Paul would say to Timothy in the New Testament, that everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Do you guys realize that for Christians, there's actually promises from God that your life is not gonna go well in some respects, that not everything is gonna go the way that you would like it to go? that You're gonna be persecuted if you want to actually live for the Lord. Other people are gonna hate you. They're gonna speak falsely about you on behalf of the Lord, and that's what he sees in in his life, right? We also know that that God brings trials into our life, right? If you've read James 1, you realize that, hey, we're actually supposed to rejoice in the midst of trials because God uses times where he turns up the heat in our life to refine us and to make us more like his son and to fill us with great joy. That's actually not a bad thing. It's something that we're supposed to be thankful for and rejoice in because of what God is God is accomplishing, and, and Asaph seeing, hey, I, I'm not rich, my, I'm not always increasing in riches. My life isn't isn't easy all the time like these others appear appear to be. Um, you know, I, I, I'm getting rebuked, right? I realize that like God, everyone who God loves, He's also going to discipline. He's also going to point out sin in my life that He wants to that He wants to change, right? Like that's what I'm what I'm experiencing. And in verse 15, He says, "If I had said, I will speak thus." I would have betrayed the generation of your children, and he's like, I'm feeling this so much, and he's like, I was almost to the point where I was, spo- I was about to start talking about that and kind of verbalizing some of my complaints and my discontent and my discouragement, and he's like, thank the Lord I, I did it, right, that, that here I am, a leader of the nation of Israel, and if I'm like, well, my life isn't that good because I don't have a boat or I don't have this, like, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. I would have, you know, put them in a direction that would have been false, that would have said, hey, living for this life is where it's really, it's really at. And in verse 16, he's, he's, he's seeing all this in, in his perspective in the world and, he, and that's making him think certain things and feel certain things about himself. And in verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Now, I don't know about you and where you're at and, 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 and even where your heart is at right now, but I, I wonder if we're honest, if many of us can see some of these same feelings and temptations happening in our hearts as well today right and we see that like man this that seems like it'd be really fun and it seems like it would bring joy and happiness and fulfillment uh, but here i am and i'm living for the lord and i'm i'm, I'm striving hard but i'm just i'm just weary and, and i'm almost it's almost that asaph is to the point in verse 16 where he almost wants to throw in the towel he almost wants to say like I, I might as well just give in i might as well just give in and start living for me even if it's only a little bit right that's that's the point where he gets to right like Kind of a bummer of a psalm so far, right? Like many of you guys are thinking, can we get Pastor Ken back here sooner, right? Like, I I don't know about this, right? But it doesn't stay there, right? Asaph does not remain with the same perspective. Something happens that changes everything about his perspective, about the way he thinks about other people, the way he thinks about himself. Something happens that's radical. I don't know if, you, if you've read this song before, if you even glance down at the end, right? He, he, he's, he ends it on a very, very high note. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my, uh, of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may I tell of all your works, and it's like, Whoa, this is good stuff. So, what was the difference, right? This psalm starts off and it's very gloomy, very glum, very discouraged, but yet it ends with so much enthusiasm and such great joy. What was the game changer? What was the difference maker that happened? Point number two on your notes is the change in perspective that we see in verse 17, right? He's saying. As I thought to understand this, verse 16, it seemed to me a wearisome task until. Until something happened. And what, what is it that happened? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Right, that as my perspective is, is formed by, by the people around me, I'm getting discouraged. I'm feeling like giving up. I'm feeling like giving in. But when I go into the sanctuary of the Lord, something happens. Something changes. Right, And we, we understand, we remember that in the Old Testament, the sanctuary of the Lord, what they're talking about is actually the physical temple, right? That, that we know that God is omnipresent, right? That, that he's, he's everywhere at all times, right? But we know that in the Old Testament that God had given the nation of Israel a special manifestation of his presence and his goodness, right? That he would actually dwell with them as his people, but he, he dwelt with them in a way that he was also separated from them right that in the temple there's this like progressive separation that no one really only one person's allowed like directly into the presence of the Lord and that's only once a year and he's got to offer sacrifices before he does that and we tie a rope around his foot so that way if he sins against the Lord God is so holy that God might actually strike him dead right there so we might have to yank him out by the rope right and there's this separation right but it says Asaph says when I go into the presence of the Lord that's when everything changes for me. When I when I get my perspective uh, shaped not by my circumstances, not by my feelings, not by the people around me, but I get my perspective shaped by looking at God, being in his presence, right? that's when everything is going to change. Right? And for us, right, we don't have to actually go to the temple in Israel to get this kind of perspective that Jesus Christ came and when he was crucified on the cross that the veil that that kind of separated God from his people was torn in two from top to bottom right that that now as as God even predicted in Jeremiah 31 right that God said I'm going to put my law within them I'm going to put my spirit within them Right, that Through Jesus Christ, we've been given direct access to God. We've been, we've been granted a, a forum before the throne of God that we can come for mercy and grace in times of need, as Hebrews 4 would say. Right? that, that we, we don't have to go into the temple. We don't have to wait for Sunday to come to church to have our perspective changed. We can go into the presence of God and think about him and have that shape our perspective every single day of our life lives, right? And it's going to change us just like it changed Asaph. So what does that look like? If we're not going to the temple, what, what does it look like? What does it look like to have our perspective shaped by, by viewing God, by knowing him? It's not, it's not rocket science. God has spoken to us in his word. He has revealed himself that through the Bible, that's where we really get the fullest revelation and depiction of who God is and his character. And it's revealed most clearly through His Son. Jesus Christ, that he's the exact image and representation of the father, right? You want to have your perspective totally changed on a daily basis, spend time in God's word on a daily basis, right? And not just to kind of like read it and check it off of a list, but go into God's word and say, God, I wanna know you. I wanna understand you better. I wanna be more in awe of you. I wanna pray like Moses in Exodus 33 where he says to the Lord, God, show me your glory. Impress me with your majesty and your power and your greatness. We can do that every single day. We can, we can bring God into our day. I was I was encouraged. Uh, Tim Kemwright was was praying for communion. One of our elders uh, in the first service, and and even as he prayed, he was thanking the Lord for the freedoms that we have here in here in our country and in America. But then he he was thanking God even more for the freedom that we have from sin. Right, that our freedom here in America is perhaps a temporary thing. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to end up 10 years from now, 100 years from now, right? It, it, might, it might come and go, right? But the freedom that we've been given from sin through Jesus Christ is an everlasting freedom, that those who are free from sin through Christ are free indeed, never to be subjected to slavery again, right? And I was just like, man, that's a great example of, of having a God shape your perspective even on a day like 4th of July right that in each and every situation of our life we've got to be we got to be thinking about it with God in the picture right not like we're separating well when i go to church that's the time that i think about the lord but when i'm at work that's the time where i'm focused on my business and i got i got things to do and people to people to schmooze and you know clients to clients to get sales from and or or, or whatever Right, that, that hey, we've got to be allowing God to shape our perspective in everything as we are around family and there's you know potential potential conflict in extended family and and whatever we got to realize that hey, God is at work through all of this. God is using this to to refine us and to to shape us. We got to bring God in to everything in your day, and we've got to meditate on the Lord. We've got to be thinking about God and who He is on a daily basis, right? If, if you haven't been coming to uh, the adult equipping hour during the during the middle hour between services, right, that's what we're, we're talking about all summer is the attributes of God, right? And I know if you've been here, you've been blessed by, by having your view of God made bigger, right, and that's what we need to do, that each week we're coming in here and we're learning. We're, we're getting to know God. We're having our perspective shaped by looking at, at him. And then throughout the week, we're, we're taking out our notes and we're reminding us. So we're writing down things and putting them on the dashboard of our car and, and saying, Hey, I want to think about God's omnipotence today, right? That as I go into a day with just kind of a defeatist attitude, no, I remember God is all powerful. He can do whatever He wants, right? So I'm not afraid. I'm not bummed going into a day because I know God's power and what He's able to accomplish in a day, even when I'm feeling tired or even when I'm, I'm, I'm feeling. Feeling low, right? A book I'd really recommend if you haven't read it already. It's a short book, but a powerful book called "The Attributes of God" by A.W. Pink. It's got a really cheesy cover. We got some of it in the in the bookstore, but uh, uh, I remember reading it for the for the first time and having my view of the Lord really enlarged to where I was like, "Whoa, this is God. This is this is who He is, right?" And that changed me. That changed my perspective about so many. So many things, right? And that's what happens in Asaph, right? That if we go into the sanctuary of God, if we look at God on a daily basis, we can expect the same change in perspective that we see Asaph describe in his life, right? That's what we should be, we should be expecting. And look at how his perspective changes in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned, their end, talking about the wicked, talking about those who aren't, who aren't saved, who aren't Christians. It says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes O lord when you rouse yourself you despise them as phantoms as a dream as a as a as an image that basically uh, asaph is remembering when he goes into the presence of the lord and he looks at god and how he really is how god describes himself in the bible he realizes that god is not just a god of love right god is a god who is going to judge those who who reject him. God is a holy God. He is a God who is right to pour out his wrath on those who, those who reject him, right? And so he goes into God's presence, he reminds himself of who God is, and then he remembers what's really true about all these people. That on the surface, their life looks fun. It looks like it's really good. They've got possessions, they've got free time, they're fat and sassy, everything's good with them. But then he goes into them and he says, truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, an area where there's like snow and ice. We had kind of the ice apocalypse here this last year in, in Montgomery County. And, 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 you know, you, you got to be careful when you're walking, right? Because you never know, like, if, a, you know, even a sidewalk surface has ice on it. If you're going to do one of those where you just, you know, kind of walk and then all of a sudden like the, the ground is pulled out from under you or the rug is pulled out from under you and you find yourself suspended in midair just waiting, waiting to fall with a thud to the ground. Not, not like that's ever happened to me before, but um, you know that's, what, that's what's described here is that it seems like these people are so secure. It seems like there's no pangs in their life until, until death. It seems like everything is going well for them, but really they're set in a very slippery spot. That like at any moment, what they're looking to for their joy and happiness could be snatched away from them, right? If they're looking to their joy and happiness in a relationship, that relationship could end. That person could die, right? If they're looking to their, their joy and happiness in the stock market and in their, their wealth and their possessions, what, what happens when it crashes? What happens when the Dow tanks 200 points in a day? It's like my, my, my happiness is so fickle. It's so, it's so fleeting, right? It's there for a moment, but then it slips out from under me, right? Or if my happiness is in a boat, right, there's somebody else with a bigger boat. Or what happens when my boat breaks, right? That's why it's always better to know someone who has a boat than to have a boat yourself, right? Because, because boats break, right? And then you're like, ah, I'd like to be out on the lake. Or what happens when it's 4th of July and, oh, man, everybody's out on the lake. I don't even want to go, Near, near the lake, right, that, that, that happiness is so fleeting, it's so fickle, right, it, it, it's a slippery place that they can fall to ruin in their happiness and their joy in a moment. Seems like their life is going well, but that's not really the case, it's not really going the case, and in verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by tears, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them. Basically, their life is a dream right now, and one day they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up to reality. And it's, it's, it's the picture that the Asaph uses here is not that God actually is asleep right now, but it seems, right? They're saying, hey, does, does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Nah, 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 nah. And, and God's just being patient. God God is just allowing his grace and his mercy to be poured out right now so that people would come to repentance, so that they would come to faith in Christ, so that they would get saved. But there's going to come a day when his grace is done, right? when his patience has reached its end, and Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to judge the world. And all who have rejected him, even if they're religious, Right? Anyone who's not right, who hasn't repented of their sins and placed their faith solely in Jesus Christ is going to be judged. And that's not gonna, ha- it's gonna happen in a moment. Look at what it says. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. That God might seem like he's sleeping right now, but there's gonna be a day when he's gonna wake up and it's gonna be unmistakable. And on that day, there's gonna be no more opportunity to repent. There's going to be no more opportunity to be be made right with the Lord through Christ. There's only going to be judgment. And to think about that, all these people today, right, we can look at their life and it seems like they're going well, right? They're wealthy, they're successful, they're they're physically attractive, they're in good health. All of these things that we're like, man, that, that seems like that would be really fulfilling. Think about the end. Think about eternity. What, what is a few hours, a few days, a few months, a few years, 10 years, 30 years, 80 years of happiness in sin here in this life when for eternity you're swept away in a moment into it and it's judgment forever without rest? Think about that. When, when Asaph goes into the presence of the Lord, he realizes he's going before the judge He's going before the one who has promised that he will give each according to his deeds here in this life. And it's gonna be bad. And then when he thinks about himself in verse, in verse 21, Asaph, he used to be thinking, man, am I being foolish for following the Lord? Am I, am I, do I have it wrong here? In verse 21, he says, when my soul was embittered, when I was envious, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. like I was like a beast toward you, that's not a good thing. We use beast in kind of a highly athletic term today, but not, not back then, that was not a favorable, a favorable term. He's like, man, I, I used to think I had it wrong thinking that, that living for the Lord wasn't where it's at, and now I realize how wrong I was. How, how stupid was I even to think that? I was like a beast, I was brutish, I was ignorant, I was, I was dumb, but even in that, he says in verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. What a source of joy those two verses are, right? That is, we're you know, going into each week saying, hey, I wanna fight against sin. I wanna, I wanna be more holy this week because I love the Lord and I wanna give him, give him glory. And we see that, hey, our, our hearts are, are fickle and our hearts are deceiving us and, and we get, we get kind of discouraged about it. And then we realize it, Right, that we gotta remember that, that God is in the business of, of reshaping our perspective. Right, God is in the business of constantly taking our focus off of our circumstances and our feelings and, and what other people are doing around us and driving our focus back to him. Right, That's what Asaph says. He says, I'm continually with you. You're, you're the one who's holding my right hand. You're the one who's kind of guiding me along. You're the one who's bringing me back to you right and he says you guide me with your counsel right i I go into your sanctuary i hear your word and and you guide me you reshape my perspective through that and afterward you're going to receive me to glory right that as we think about this struggle to live for the lord that we're going to have until jesus comes back for those who are saved that one day it's going to end and god is going to bring us to be with him where he is and then the struggle is going to be done and so that, that reshapes Asaph's perspective about God, right? Before he's probably thinking, God, it, you know, are you holding out on me? Are you holding out something that's really going to make me happy? If only I had this. If only I had, you know, easier relationships, or you know, my kids were turning out better, or I had more possessions, or I had more freedom to do what I want. God, are you really holding out on me? Like, ah. Uh, he goes from the point where he says in verse twenty-five, "Whom have I in heaven but you?" And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And when Asaph goes into the sanctuary and he sees God, he realizes what he's really got. He realizes that God is so amazing and so valuable and so precious that nothing in this life even begins to compare with him even begins to compare with his greatness and his glory. So as Asaph thinks, what am I looking forward to in the future? What do I want my heaven to be like? Is it going to be golf and football and friends and everything? Like, who knows? But the thing I really want is God, right? That's what I'm looking forward to. God is going to be there, and I want I want him. And so as I think about my life, there's nothing really that I want besides God, besides Jesus, Right? He's what I want. He's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to make my, my happiness be all wrapped up in him, right? And I'm not, I'm not missing out, right? That Jesus is like that treasure that's hidden in a field that is so valuable that immediately I say, hey, all this other stuff in my life, it's, it's, I, I'm done with it because I want this. I want this, right? That if we are going into the sanctuary of God on a regular basis and seeing him and asking God, hey, God, reveal yourself to me through your word. Show me how great you are, that's what's going to happen in our lives, right? Our, our, our affections for cars and houses and pleasure and vacations and all of these things, not that those, those are bad things in and of themselves, but they're going to be put in their proper place, right? They're going to put so, so far down the list of our priorities and our desires, and God is going to be exalted in the place that he deserves to be in, right? That's what's going to happen, and, and he says in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That even as he thinks about, hey, I just struggled, you know, while I'm writing this, and there's probably going to be more struggle in, in the future, right? He, he's, he's praising the Lord that, that even though my flesh and my heart are not going to be accurate guides, my desires are going to lie to me. My heart is going to deceive me, as Jeremiah 17 says. 17, 9 says, My heart is going to deceive me, but thank God that even though I'm going to struggle, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That God is invested in my growth, and He's going to be the one ultimately making sure it's happening, right? That that He's going to be the one leading me along, right? So even when I'm struggling and my perspective isn't where it should be, God's going to be bringing me back to Him, and God's going to be showing me Himself. And at the end of the psalm, Asaph kind of has a commitment in verses 27 and 28. He says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, what I'm going to do, right, I'm not going to be like these other people, but for me, it is good to be near God. Or some translations would say, the nearness of God is my good. But for me, to be near God being in his word every day, thinking about him all the time, going on a walk where I don't have music on or I'm not talking to a friend. I'm just thinking about the Lord. That's what's gonna be my good. That's what I'm gonna be looking forward to on a daily basis. That's what I'm gonna be looking at my life and shoving something else out of the way so that I make time to be near God in his word, thinking about him, praying to him, spending time communing, communing with him. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. That at the end of it, Asaph realizes that anybody who's not saved, anybody who's not a believer, that God himself says that they're gonna perish and that God himself is gonna be the one who puts an end to them. So, right, as you look at other people, don't, don't envy them, pity them. Be, be, be concerned for them. Love them enough to, to tell them that, that they're headed towards destruction, but there's a way out through, through Jesus Christ. Asaph says, but as for me, it's good to be near God. That's what I'm going for each and every day, each and every, every moment of my life. I have made the Lord God my refuge, right? That if I try to put my happiness in something like possessions or a relationship, that's gonna be a slippery place to be, but there's a rock that I can stand on. There's a refuge that each and every day I can run to and be secure, and it's the Lord. It's the Lord himself. He says, I have made the Lord my God my refuge that I may tell of all your works, that Asaph says, hey, I want to share about what God did, even through shape, reshaping my perspective, re- reshaping my perspective. I want, I want people in the nation of Israel to know about that. I want to write a song about that, because people need to understand what's true and what's right, even when they're not feeling it, even when they're feeling something, something different. So I'd encourage you, right, maybe even if, as we've, as we've gone through this, you see uh, ways that God, you remember a time where, hey, I, I was really going for this in my life and God reshaped my perspective. God put, pointed me in a better direction, right? Or maybe even God's doing that right right now. And maybe even at Grow Group tonight or, or later this week, you should, you should share that with someone else, right? You should say, I've made the Lord God my refuge that I would tell about his work to everyone that I'm around. So my encouragement meant to you is don't lose heart, right? Realize that your flesh and your heart are going to fail, they're, they're not reliable, right? There's going to be a struggle against sin, but as long as we are keeping our eyes, even as Pastor Ken said last week, looking to Jesus, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, right, as we keep our eyes focused on him through his word, right, we can expect the same change in perspective. We can expect joy. We can expect not just discouragement and losing heart. We can expect for God to work because he is that great. Let's ask, let's ask God for his help to do that Lord we love you but God we confess Lord that, that there are times where uh, Lord our, our steps nearly slip and our feet almost stumble God because we we have our perspective shaped by the wisdom of this world and by other people and we look around and we can start to, to, to be bummed about the life that you've given us and, and to be discontent and to be discouraged but God I thank you even for this text God that reminds us uh, that we don't have to stay there Lord, that we can come into your presence, Lord, and we know that we can come into your presence through your son, Jesus Christ, God, that that we've been brought, for those of us that are saved, we've been brought into your your family, Lord, and that you're at work, you've placed your spirit within us, and and so, God, we can have great confidence for the future, we don't have to, to fear about the struggle, Lord, because we know that you've given us everything that we need to be successful. And God, we can rely on that. And God, as we go and as we, as we think about you, as we meditate on you, as we behold you and, and all of your glory and all of your power and in your holiness every day, God, you're gonna change us. God, you're gonna, you're gonna cause us to be just like Asaph where we say, being near God is what I want. God, I don't wanna be like those who are far from you, Lord, who, who wanna do their own thing. I want you. So you gotta pray if there's anyone here today, God, that, that even now they, they realize that they're not in submission to you, or they realize that they are pursuing their own pleasure without thought of you, that, um, Lord, maybe they're even doing that while they're going to church regularly. God, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would show them uh, that, Lord, uh, living for something apart from you is a slippery place to be. And God, it's going to end in destruction when, you, when you're done. Shedding out uh, your grace and your mercy, Lord. And now it's time for you to, to be the judge and to put all rebellion under your feet forever. So God, I pray that, that there would be repentance while there's still time. Lord, that today is a day where salvation is available. And so God, if there's anyone here, I wanna pray that they would repent and turn and put their faith in you even, even today, God. And for those, that, those of us that you've already brought us to that spot, God, just fill us with great joy, And you help us to see that what we've been given in you so far surpasses anything else that we could ask or think. And God, just fill us with great joy and excitement in that today, we pray in your name, amen.